We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Spinning is Sabonis. One bird, skies high for the jam. Warren lets it fly. Yes! T.J. Warren is not human. Okic. Oh, he's turned it. Oh, he's mothered that chicken. He's mothered the chicken. Well, you got it setting the pace, and I think that's terrific. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace. I'm your host for today's show, Alex Golden. And my co-host joining me right now is Michael J. Fachi. Fachi, another tough loss for the Pacers as they fall apart in the fourth quarter. Oh, man. Just like a, like a stale cookie, the boys crumbled. You know, it just felt like we had a chance. You raised a 20-point deficit. But they came out as flat as could be in the fourth quarter. I don't even want to say they. I don't know who came out in the fourth quarter, but it wasn't the Pacers. No, it was awful. And it was you know, followed by, I, I put a tweet out basically saying I felt like Sabonis was kind of forcing things there, had three quick shot attempts that didn't fall. The the Nuggets came back and scored, and it was like that little run started everything. And we could really tell that this team was just falling apart. And unfortunately, they never got it back. I mean, you're watching this game. You're feeling pumped up. You're excited. You're, you're, you're seeing this team go back and forth, competing with the Nuggets. We, we get the first Quinn Buckner smothered chicken since 2019. Loved it. The, the game is, you know, awesome, crazy cool. And all of a sudden, it's just like the fourth quarter happens and the Pacers forget who they are. It, it was rough. And I, I know it was the fourth technically, but they finished the third very sloppily. I mean, it was actually seven offensive rebounds. And nearly it was about like a, a minute and a half possession by the Nuggets at the end. It must have just taken everything out of the Pacers and really just – they just stumbled into the fourth quarter. I mean, look, however you want to put it, I, I wasn't thrilled with the lineup they put out there, but I understand you had Miles Turner play the full third quarter. So, you know, you mostly go with the reserves and DeMontis Sabonis and just – it just was not good enough because 22-2 to two was the run the Nuggets went on. In the end, the Pacers score 15 points in the fourth. There's so many different ways to look at it that it was just disgusting. I mean, instantly the Pacers have, you know, four turnovers the first few minutes. They don't even get a basket until about five minutes in to the fourth. I mean, it, it was gross. No, it really was. And I think we, we talked about it with Jeremy Lamb playing the small ball four. Uh, last night it was Doug McDermott. And he was playing with a really small lineup with Aaron Holiday. 
Edmund, Edmund Sumner and TJ McConnell. And we, mm-hmm. we highlighted that lineup against the Suns because they played well, but I think there's a large margin of error there uh, for air there with that, with that unit because of their size. And we know Denver's got a lot of athletic guys, a lot of guys that can really score the basketball. I think Michael Porter Jr. was out there during that run. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened. If you go back and look at the first game, the Pacers lost to Denver right before the all-star break. So it really just felt like this was a team that had the opportunity to go out there and, you know, make some noise, upset the Nuggets in this road trip with two wins and got yourself feeling good. But then once again, they just revert back to the same old problems. And I know Turner was probably tired, but man, if you see that lead crumbling with like, you know, two minutes into the fourth, you've got to make a change. You have to make a change. And look, you never want to pin this on just one man, but Miles Turner finished as a plus five in a 15 point loss. That's hard to do when you're playing, you know, substantial minutes. You're playing 25 plus minutes and you're plus five. You were doing something real positive in that game. And just to throw out some numbers in there, I mean, the initial run by the Nuggets earlier on, I mean, they, it was the Nuggets went on, I want to say it was uh, in the second quarter, a 17 nothing run with Turner on the bench. Then in the fourth quarter, a 14 nothing run with Turner on the bench. I mean, it was at the point where you can't have the whole entire defense just shut down when Miles takes a rest because everybody needs a rest. But there's just so many different ways to dissect this. The rebounding is a whole other story for itself. The Pacers got crushed on the boards yesterday. Yeah. I mean, offensively, got out-rebounded by seven boards. That leads to the Nuggets getting, I think it was, seven more shots than the Pacers. Uh, overall, I think the Nuggets out-rebounded the Pacers by about 20 in the game. I mean, it's going to be hard to beat anybody if you're getting out-rebounded by 20. No, and then if you look at the three-point shooting, the Pacers shot 42 threes compared to Denver's 28. I'm all for shooting the three, but that's a lot of threes for this Pacers team. And, I mean, 17 to 42, they shot 40, 40%, which isn't terrible. No, not at all. But it's just one of those things where I was like, man, I feel like they were settling sometimes, and I'm sure they were trying to play catch up there in the fourth quarter a little bit. But, yeah, I mean, it just felt like, you know, Sabonis was really playing pretty well. And, um, I mean, he almost had a triple-double. It was one of those games where he wasn't, you know, forcing a lot of shots at the beginning. I mean, he had a good percentage. I think he went 5 of 11 to end the game. So, not not – entirely bad but he had three straight misses in that fourth quarter and I think that really set the tone he got so frustrated that they weren't calling fouls but at the same time I was just disappointed that he was kind of forcing it there a little bit they weren't running that offense where everything was moving and I'm not sure what happened Fudge but it's just like the offense completely just quit working and they didn't know how to run the offense and that's in that last quarter and so unfortunately I don't I don't know what's what's to make of this game. I don't know what you can do moving forward because this is a reoccurring problem, no matter who's on the floor in the fourth quarter. I just, I just think personally for me, if I'm going to make a change, I want to start off each fourth quarter with at least two starters. You have to, because it's, it's just, it's not working out. The Pacers are getting outworked in the fourth quarter in the last few games. I mean, I understand they had a big lead against Phoenix Got outscored in the fourth quarter, but, you know, we saw that lead drop down to, I think it was as low as nine in that Phoenix game. I didn't feel safe at that point. Uh, and, and that's what the Pacers leading big. So it's just at the point where they look too gassed by the end of the game. I would love to have at least two starters in there, just like you mentioned. The Pacers only made five shots in the fourth quarter. And let's be honest, a decent amount of them came at the end of the game when it was out of reach. 
I mean, the Pacers, they were, they were five of 20 in the fourth quarter. So no matter how you, how you look at it, it's really bad. And just to touch on when you mentioned the three-point shooting, Pacers shot 42 threes, way too much. The Nuggets, 28. But the worst part of it all, Alex, they were 15 of 28. They shot almost 54% from three. I, yeah. you, you can't do that. I mean, there has to be better perimeter defense. It, it was just no matter all across the board, it was upsetting. And look, I don't want to be the guy to make up the excuses. The Pacers have struggled in Denver. They have one win in Denver since 2007. I believe it was last year when McBuckets went crazy and they had a wild comeback in there. It, Denver's a hard, tough to play, a hard place to play. But also, it doesn't help when you got a snow delay. You're getting in late, a 10 p.m. game. Look, I don't want to be making these excuses, but no matter how you look at it, the Pacers just looked tired and flat in the fourth quarter at the end of the game. Yeah, I definitely think it was not snow-related. Maybe you can make that excuse. Maybe that's why they couldn't finish fourth quarter. I'm not going to make that excuse. I just think they just got outplayed, they and, and they just fell apart. I mean, we saw it against the Lakers. They did the same exact thing. Fell apart in the fourth quarter. Lakers went on a huge run. They came back and won the game, and they shouldn't have won it. You know, this was a game that was still close. I felt like, you know, Pacers were going back and forth to Denver. I felt like this is going to come down to the wire. I had actually texted you yesterday early in the day and said, I'm feeling good about a Levert game winner tonight. That'd be fun. Oh, and I was I was seeing this game go back and forth, being close. And I'm like, wouldn't that be hilarious if we if we got that? I would just be laughing. And then all of a sudden, the the 22 to two run happened, and I was like, well, there goes that uh, there goes that game winner. But um, yeah, I I know it's it's hard to talk about losses because we've been doing it a lot. But um, is there anything from this game, like anything you saw from Twitter about this game that? Uh, you want to talk about maybe storyline wise or anything? Uh, yeah. I mean, hey, storyline. If we want to talk about something that you engaged a little bit in, uh, do you want to mention one of the tweets that uh, you went back and forth with? The tweet that I thought was really interesting last night came from Scott Agnes, and so a couple of different people kind of interacted with this. But Scott said this is the first time this season I remember seeing a Pacer visibly upset with the Bjorken decision. Now, there are multiple replies, but the Indy Pacer on Twitter said, again, totally incorrect here. Not a chance he was upset with this coach. All has to do with the awful officiating if you're watching the game. Scott replies, look at the video. Based on all we can see, he turns towards Bjorker and sees he's coming out and reacts. He's not made available postgame, so I can't ask him. The Indy Pacer replies, Scott, he clearly was incredibly frustrated with the officials all night. I just don't feel it was fair to make that accusation without knowing it for a fact. For a fact, that's all. The officiating has been so inconsistent towards him the last couple of games. Scott replied, my job is to make observations. I would have had a better view being there, but TV is the best I have. Emotion is a good thing, and it's especially high after their last 24 hours. Understandable. And then some uh, NBA poll said, keyword observations, not assumptions. To say he did it because he's a rebound short of a triple-double is an assumption and probably a bad one. So Scott's kind of getting roasted here. Scott goes, last thing on this because it's not that deep. Look back at what I wrote. I said he wanted to finish the game and noted he was a rebound short. So I chimed in because I was really just curious. I said, so do you really think he was upset because he got pulled and had a chance to get a triple-double in a blowout fourth quarter? Scott replied, yes, that's how it looked. He went to the bench, looked towards Nate several times, looked up where stats might be, and said, are you kidding me? Did you see it differently? And he said, again, it's not that deep, just an observation. I said, 
I just don't see Domas as a stat chaser. I won't rule out your observation as a possibility, but if I remember right, Miles got called for a foul against Jokic. As soon as the foul was called, Domas looked upset. I thought he was mad. Jokic was getting calls. He wasn't. So, Faji, I know a lot of people were kind of chiming in. There was other comments that were made, but what were your overall takes from this whole this whole conversation and uh, what how Sabonis reacted last night? Look, we never know exactly how aware players are of their stats during the games. We hear that they are from time to time. But in this situation, I think it's just a coincidence that he was within a rebound of a triple-double. If he was two rebounds away, I don't even think we're having this conversation. I think the losing is getting to him and this team. They've lost, I believe, seven of nine. I mean, it's at a point where I want to see emotion. I don't want these players to just be smiling all the time after a loss if if it happens. No, show some emotion because that was an intensely frustrating fourth quarter. You're talking about a guy who didn't even make a single trip to the line yesterday. He was not getting the calls. No one was really getting the calls. I don't want to blame it on the refs, but at the same point, I think in that situation, it was just a frustrating fourth quarter not stat chasing right there we'll keep an eye on it to see if you know these situations keep arising or anything of sort but in this situation I think it was just an observation yeah and I think one of the things that I've kind of felt like I've known about Sabonis or just kind of watching him I've never seen him kind of be like a look at me type of player exactly he's uh always giving credit to his teammates for you know making shots and finding him in the right spots. It's never been one of those things where it's like, I've got to get my triple-double, blah, blah, blah. Like, no, like, the dude is very effective. He's very efficient. He gets the ball a lot. If he's not scoring, he's dishing it out to other guys. We've seen how many great passes he's made, how he always seems to find the open guy. And, look, there can be times when Savonis doesn't play great, not giving him a pass for anything. And I really, like I said, I'm not – I don't want to discredit Scott because I know Scott does a great job covering this team. He he approaches it from a very different angle than a lot of other guys do. And I think that's what makes Scott a unique person to follow and a unique person to talk with because there's things and there's behind the scenes stories that he gets that I have no idea about. We're just watching the same game on TV though, as Scott was last night. And and maybe he was upset about the triple double. I mean, who really knows, but I just feel like being a part of that huge 20 to 22 to two run, Probably wait on him a little bit. I think that overall, he's just mad because that was a chance to win a game against a really good team, get things going. And, you know, it's these wins aren't going to come easy in this month of March. We've talked about it. This entire play-in, playoff thing is so wacky right now. The standings are all jumbled up. He just wants to win. I just, I truly believe it. He's a competitor. I've seen him get subbed out before earlier in the season, not even when he's close to a triple-double and get mad, not maybe at Bjorken, but just mad at the situation. And maybe because he looked down at Bjorken's way, that's where Scott was getting that observation. Maybe he hadn't seen that before. But you know what? I feel like Bjorken, based on everything we've heard, has a great relationship with these guys. Mm -hmm. So if there was any bit of frustration or emotion there between those two, I'm sure it's resolved by now. So I'm not worried about it. I don't think it's a long-term thing. But I still think maybe it is worth monitoring because – who knows? Let's monitor it, but not jump to conclusions and all of a sudden, you know, label him a stat chaser in, in you know, on Twitter and everything like that. that. I don't need that to be the next narrative going on. Let's monitor it and, and take it from there. In this instance, sure, he was a rebound shy of a triple-double, but it's not like he was doing way too much, you know, to get it. it the guy had 11 shot attempts in the game. 
You know, he had 10 points. It's not like he was forcing everything up and, and really trying to steal every rebound out there. No, it was it was not like a Russell Westbrook stat chasing type game. So, you know, I'm not going to label him a stat chaser. Absolutely not. So that was kind of my tweet that I wanted to bring up today on our tweet of the tweet of the week or tweet of the night, whatever our segment's called. But uh, our, our highlighted tweet, Fachi, did you have a highlighted tweet that you want to talk about before we take a break? I did. From okay. at NBA Woody, I kind of touched on it a little bit before, but it stood out to me because it was so true. It said last night, Miles Turner sits out the second quarter and the Nuggets go on a 17-0 run. Miles Turner sits at the start of the fourth quarter and the Nuggets go on a 14-0 run. I still don't think people understand how important and special Miles is, not even his own coaching staff. In a 15-point uh, loss, Miles was plus five. Says a lot. So the last part, that was just mine. But before that, that was the tweet. And I think he's completely right. Last night, he was very vital uh, to this team, and it showed, unfortunately. No, when you look at Miles Turner, like whether you look at the box scores or actually watch the games, however you feel about him, look, at the end of the day, he is a pivotal part of this team right now. And – what we're going to talk about in the next segment is a report that came out that teams are calling about him. So I don't want to, I want to tease it a little bit, but don't want to talk about that. But what I'm going to say is if teams are calling about him, they're taking notice of him. Oh, yeah. And clearly he's been a defensive presence all year long. Sure. He might've had a couple bad games here and there, but everybody does. It's a he long season, exactly. right? So, but I think defensively, you know, the five blocks that he had last night, uh, the one that I thought was the most impactful was not the one that got the smothered chicken. But, you know, and then you saw some stuff on offense as well. He had a great cross-up on Paul Millsap and finished it with the two-hand slam. He's been doing a little bit more dunking around the rim than yep. laying it up. I've noticed a difference in his game. I love Miles Turner's recent play. I think that this year he's been a much different player, buying into his role. Um, his inconsistency from three is one of the most frustrating things. I feel like if he can knock those down at a higher percentage – then, man, he'd be really hard to move or really hard to, you know, take out of the game. I mean, he still is at this point, but I think you could make the case that he should play more if he's hitting those threes at a higher rate, but it's just inconsistent. And, and honestly, I, I love his defense. What he's doing, able to switch on to smaller guys, it's been impactful. You're seeing it right now. And I also think that some of these lineups that we're playing, uh, it's like we're playing the starters so much together. We, we throw in too many all-bench units. I'm, I'm, I'm over it. Oh, so am I. It's fine if you want to develop guys, but you got to mix them in with some of these starters. I don't care if you think, oh, the bench has better chemistry. It's like, look, when you've got four guys in the starting lineup that you really can rely on with Levert, Brogdon, and the Turbonis duo, you got to stagger their minutes a little bit better. And I think that, you know, we know Sabonis and McDermott can play well together, but hey, maybe try playing them a little bit with, uh, with Levert or Brogdon in the lineup instead of going super small with Aaron and McConnell. Have Aaron come in early, have McConnell come in early for one of those guys so they don't have to play the entire first and third quarters. I'm not sure exactly what to do, Foch, and I'm rambling here. I'm sorry. Just a lot of thoughts coming to me as I'm talking. But, you know, it's just Miles Turner, the numbers have been really good in his favor for on-off. And I personally think that the Pacers need to tap into that a little bit more because if he's that impactful – and the team is that drastically bad without him on the court, something's got to change. 
Something does got to change, and and I do think that it it has been a bit inconsistent for him on the offensive side of things and in terms of touches. I mean, I know he got nine shot attempts, eight the game before, but just five against the Lakers. I mean, there's other times where going through the numbers here, sometimes just seven. uh, From three-point land, if he's hitting, the Pacers are going to have a good shot to win. So I I think that he'll get that three-point touch back. Uh, I I really do remember just a couple years ago, he was a near 40% shooter from three. Uh, We touched on briefly McConnell. McConnell's been real quiet lately, and I've noticed his minutes have dwindled each of the last five games. We need to get that McConnell back from a little bit uh, a couple weeks ago. Well, you're not going to rely on him as much with Karis LeVert back, right? I know, I know. That's that's kind of the thing, and that's why I don't think his trade value is very high, unfortunately, because he's still limited in what he can do. He is, he is. And – you know, that's why a lot of fans at the beginning of the season were like, hey, let's let's play. Let's play Aaron Holiday at that backup point guard. Let's put McConnell more in the third string role and be more of a mentor type guy. But no, I mean, he was playing out of his mind. I he mean, was, maybe he, he just way too crazy, maybe too out of his mind. Well, yeah. And maybe, you know, kind of similar to how we talked about Lamb the other episode. Yeah, it's like he came back and he was super good. And then all of a sudden it kind of went downhill a little bit. And, you know, maybe McConnell's just going through a little bit of a slump. He's. Uh, still impactful in different ways. He doesn't have to score the ball efficiently, mm-hmm. and maybe we kind of got used to him scoring a little bit more, being more of that guy that could put the ball in the basket. But at that point, I mean, you were relying on Lamb, who wasn't doing it very well, and then you had Aaron and Edmonds. So it's like a McConnell or bust at that point. Yep. So it's just I, I think that his perfect role is to play 20-ish minutes a game, not much more than 20. And, you know, I kind of would be okay if he played a little bit. Like, what would be really cool, I know they're bringing Karras out early now mm-hmm. in the in the first and third quarters. I think it would be kind of cool to see Karras play with I'd like to see it. And maybe you put an Aaron for him instead of Doug or whatever, and then you could get a little two-man game between uh, Lavert and, and Sabonis with McConnell and McDermott out there and maybe some Edmund Sumner. I think that'd be an interesting five-man unit. Again, the biggest problem, though, is our small ball four. Jakar Sampson's not getting any minutes. Um, and if you're not playing the Turbonis duo, the Pacers don't have an option at four right now um, outside of Jakar, really. So they do not. that's the biggest hole on this team is just not being able to have that person to play the four. I think McDermott's probably a little better than Jeremy Anna, but not much. But – yeah, I just McConnell, man. He's uh, he's been missing in action. I feel like the last couple of games, but still an impactful player. Oh no, of course. I mean, just I know we won the game against Phoenix, but one assist from TJ McConnell, uh, two points. I mean, that's it's kind of shocking. He still played twenty three minutes. You know, you you would think that McConnell. I mean, this is just a guy that a, a couple of games ago. I mean, at this point, sure, it was you know about two weeks ago, but. He had an unbelievable triple-double with 10 assists in there. And then just a couple games later, you know, two points, one assist. It's just a, it's a big drop-off. So the Pacers, when McConnell's running good with that second unit, I think the Pacers are a stronger team. But right now, obviously, you got Levert back. I think he's kind of cutting into that role, and I understand it. So, you know, Levert will be here in the future. McConnell we still don't know about. There's, there's just a lot of uncertainty about this team and not enough time to figure it out. No, there's not. But uh, we don't have all day on this podcast to talk about it, but we do want to talk about Miles Turner and his trade value and teams calling about him. So uh, the Indy Star reported that teams are calling about him. So we're going to take a break, a quick break. When we come back, we'll hit on that. We'll be right back. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, everybody, we are back and we're going to highlight this J. Michael article in the Indy Star that came out today. And it says, with the trade deadline nine days away, Miles Turner's name will, will inevitably come up when it comes to teams who have interest in them. There are more than a few. The New York Knicks, L.A. Lakers, L.A. Clippers, Charlotte Hornets, and New Orleans Pelicans are among those who have explored whether the Pacers are willing to part with the league's leading shot blocker, league sources tell Indy Star. And that's to be expected. The Pacers were open to trading him before the 2020-2021 season began when they put Turner in a deal to get Gordon Hayward from the Boston Celtics with a sign-in trade. It stalled. Hayward ended up with the Hornets instead. Indy Star has reported for the better part of a year of the Hornets' affinity for Turner. When the Pacers chose Turner 11th in the 2015 draft, the Hornets took Frank Kaminsky two spots ahead of him. Turner is in the second year of a four-year deal that pays him $17.5 million uh, each season. Kaminsky is with his third NBA team in Phoenix, earning $1.8 million. So Jay goes on to do some other stuff. I don't want to steal all the article, but that was mostly the the um, the highlight there for Miles Turner trade talk stuff. And I know that they got um, aggregated by one of those beautiful Hoop Central Legion hoops, whatever they do, uh, where they copy and just basically kind of spoil the article for you. But those thoughts, Fachi, uh, the teams that are interested, anybody have any interest in uh, – or you have any interest in uh, any of these teams making a trade for Miles? I want to be clear. Off the bat, both L.A. teams lose our number. I don't even want you calling us. I don't want your 2027 you know, pick that you're probably going to try and protect with – you know, Contavious Caldwell Pope, it's just, it's not going to happen. And the Clippers, they don't have the draft assets or anything really at all for us. They're not going to give us any of their real starting core. So those two teams off the bat lose this number. The Knicks, uh, I, you're not, if you're not going to include R.J. Barrett, why even have the conversation? That leads you then down to the New Orleans Pelicans, the Charlotte Hornets. Both of those teams have younger assets that, could potentially put together a package, but I do like the idea that teams are calling about Miles Turner because it shows that they value Turner, that he's having a good year, and that defensively he's making a major impact. But I am not ready to deal Miles Turner unless there was some godfather like of a deal that blows you away that you simply just cannot refuse. And I don't think we're going to get that deal in the next, you know, near 10 days. I, I just don't think it's going to happen. And you, I kind of feel like you'd be punting the season and dividing the locker room if you did. 
Yeah, I think one of the most important things is Kevin Prisher talked about Miles Turner's leadership when he was on our mm-hmm. podcast a month ago. Longest and tenured pacer. Longest long. tenured pacer talked about his leadership and the growth he's seen in him as as a leader. I really believe that Miles Turner, you know, if the Pacers trade him, I mean, right now at this point, they're going to, have to make some major changes to how they're playing defense and how they're approaching it because, quite frankly, uh, Sabonis, while he can guard centers better than wings, I'll give him that. He's still not great at defense, and so you're going to take a major hit. As major. much as and as much as I love Sabonis, you know, you're going to take a major hit. It is what it is. The Pacers, you know, they they did try to ship Miles in the offseason. Jay hit on that for Gordon Hayward. I think that that trade would have been a good trade, whether you agree or not. We can move on from that, but. I think that Miles took that personally. I've said this before. I think Miles wanted to show the Indiana Pacers, like, look who I am. And, and quite frankly, you know, it, it could have put a little bit of a bitter taste in Miles' mouth about everything, but at least the franchise was open and honest with him, which I know he said helped him. But this is not the only time Miles' name has been mentioned in trades. The Pelicans tried to get him in the 2018 draft, 2019 draft. I think it was 2018 yep. when we picked Goga. Maybe it was 2019. I can't remember. 20, it's 2019 because they, the they had the fourth overall pick. And That's there right. was belief that they were dangling it. Yeah, it was kind of like a uh, the, the fourth pick for Miles and the 18th pick. And, you know, I think some people are interested in that trade. But, you know, it's just at that point in that draft, after number three, it felt like that draft took a major dip. So It did. It very no, much did. Nobody was really excited about the fourth overall pick. Like, had it been the 2017 draft, I think the Pacers probably would have done that when Jason Tatum and all those guys got drafted oh, yeah. that year. Uh, I could have had De'Aaron Fox, somebody like that. But I, I'm just I'm just looking at this, and all I'll say is, if the Pacers do move on from Miles Turner, I would be 100% shocked if it's before the uh, before the trade deadline. If they move on from him, it'll be an offseason move once again. I don't think Kevin Pritchard has any intention of blowing this team up. I think that we have not yet seen TJ Warren with the starting five, so I think that that's going to be their, not excuse, but their uh, what they rely on to kind of dis- determine if they're going to make that move or not. So personally for me, I, I think Turner is too important to this team right now mm-hmm. to move on from him. Completely agree. Unless you get some godfather offer that you cannot deny, I, I say just let the calls come in. Let it be known that, hey, we're taking calls. And, uh, you know, maybe you can revisit those in the offseason if things don't go like you want them to in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, they're with, with Warren missing the time that he's missing, whether he returns or not, I don't think you blow this up. And by, by it wouldn't be a maybe not to say a blow up, but trading Miles Turner would be a drastic move for this team in the middle of the season. I don't think they would be able to recover in time. I don't. I think they would have to be – they would be experimenting way too many things on the defensive side of the ball that I do not think that it would work out. And I think it would be a mistake. It's one thing if you evaluate this in the offseason, but Miles Turner, he's he's backed up his play this year. He has. We've asked for more in, in you know previous offseasons, and he's given us more this year. I mean, he has really, like you mentioned, bought into his role, and for that – I'm, I'm not pointing the finger at him in any instance. I know in the past, a lot of people are guilty of it. I'm guilty of it too. This year, he stepped up. So I don't think that it would be the right move to trade Miles Turner, especially at this time. I just think that the Pacers, it's unfortunate that TJ Warren and Karis LeVert missed as much time as they did, but you have to just keep trucking along. It's, it's different if you're going to part with a McDermott or a Lamb or a McConnell. It's different, but... Miles Turner is the longest tenured guy, like we mentioned there. And I think that that would ruffle 
far too many feathers. We, I don't think it would be the same as in the past, but we've, we've mentioned it. When the Pacers traded Danny Granger that year for Evan Turner, the locker room was up in arms, and, and I don't think they recovered from it. Yeah, and I'll tell you this. One trade that keeps coming to mind, I brought it up last episode too, and we were getting into our debate, was that Detlef Schrempf for Derek McKee trade. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, the Pacers kind of have both guys on the roster. I think Savonis is kind of comparable to Detlef, and I think McKee is very comparable to Miles Turner. And you just have to make a decision based on the surrounding parts who makes the most sense to go with those guys because I believe Detlef was an all-star with the Pacers, and I don't think McKee was ever an all-star before that. Yeah. So it would be kind of different to, to see the Pacers trade DeMontis Sabonis. But one, you know, you have to do what makes the most sense and be the right fit for this team and for this organization. And I'm not saying that I would trade Sabonis over Turner or anything like that. I'm just saying that trade was kind of difficult because the Pacers looked at it and said, "What? we've we got a really good scoring team here. we got Chuck Person. we got Reggie Miller. You know, here's Detlef. Um, it's just the scoring, and then they got Smiths later on. I mean, there's a lot of good scoring, but they needed that defensive guy to be there. And I think in a sense that Derek McKee's value to the Pacers team back in the early 90s could be comparable to Miles' value to this Pacers team. And if you really think about it, um, I, I brought this up with you in the last episode as well. We got into a big debate about Al Farouk Aminu versus Jeremy Lamb, and it, was, and, it got, and it was bigger than that, but it was more so just the thought of defense versus offense. And I really believe, like, um, the Pacers don't need Miles Turner's offense as much as they need his defense. Whatever he provides offensively, when the team is fully healthy, he will be the fifth option on offense, point blank, period. Mm -hmm. Whatever he can provide for you in that fifth option spot, that's a bonus. You're you're needing him for his defense, and that's why I say – we talked about it a couple months ago. Let this core grow together, even though it seems frustrating. I'm all for making a move on the bench. I'm all for getting the bench better. But I'd like to see this five grow together, despite, you know, our offseason conversations about trades we like to make. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. You want to make another small, uh, make a small move? Sure, do it. But the Pacers don't need to make two franchise-altering moves in, you know, a matter of months between trading Oladipo and trading Miles Turner. I mean, this is not panic mode. This isn't our window to win. Is not just this year. These guys are signed. TJ Warren is signed through next year. Hopefully, it can re-up him. Everybody else is together for at least two more years. So there's a there's a you know a decent window to let this team grow. It does not have to be overnight. The Pacers are in like basically roughly the 10th spot right now. So, you know, it's not like we're one move away from, from winning at all. You know, we're not, we don't need to do, you know, what the Knicks had done for years and years. And that's continue to make move after move just to even make, maybe make a move where you're not actually moving the chains and instead you're just kind of starting over each time. I don't want to do that. Like you mentioned, I want to see these guys grow together. We can't make TJ Warren return to the court any quicker at all. I think that would only hurt us. But when he does and the Pacers are fully healthy, whether that's maybe that's next year, I think we're going to enjoy the product that we're watching on the court far more than if we trade Miles Turner in a panic move right now. Yeah, no, no, there's no reason to trade him right now, like I said, unless it's some godfather offer where you can't deny it. Multiple picks with talented young players, like mm-hmm. a team really trying to go all in right now. I mean, that's the only thing I can see where it'd be like you have to consider it because long-term, I mean, you still have Goga on the bench, and, you know, we are still unsure long-term what the, what the Turbonis duo will look like. 
um, what they should do with it. I mean, I think it all comes down to the playoffs and how they look and exactly and what happens, but that's when it matters the most, but we might not even be there this season based on how we're playing. I mean, I, I still think well, do it. We, I, I still think we're going to make the playoffs. I've made that very clear, right. but it just feels like right now the sky still seems like it's falling a little bit, but you know, we talked about it in the first segment a little bit, the Pacers lack of a small ball forward and Sam Amick from USA today, or actually the athletic, excuse me, Sam Amick from the athletic, put out a report of some names that he's heard about, you know, talked about at the trade deadline. One of them was somebody I brought up in our Jeremy Liam trade idea, and that was Imanja Bialica from the Sacramento Kings. There was four teams mentioned that had interest in him. And what do you know, Fachi? One of them was the Indiana Pacers. Uh, I'm not saying I have sources, but I, uh, I would be really excited about Bialica with his contract and the position he plays coming to this Pacers team in a minor deal. Oh, Kevin Pritchard, you sly dog. I know you're making some calls, and I would love some Bielitsa. I would really love it. I mean, I know you mentioned him the other day. I had mentioned him maybe in the offseason. He's someone I've been enamored with his game. I think that he would be such a good backup four for us. I yeah. really do off the bench. And with the contract we talked about, it's such a low-risk situation that why not? I mean, why not? If, if you could unload a, you know, obviously, you know, offensively, you know, sure, Doug McDermott's having a good year, but like if it came down to being unloading, a, say, like a Jeremy Lamb or something like that, or throwing Lamb in a second round pick, I mean, if that's what you got to do, like we talked about, you're getting Lamb's contract off for next year. You're getting help right now. And that's mm-hmm. as much of a win win as it could be. And you got to think for the Kings, I don't think the asking price is going to be too much. No, it probably won't be. What's kind of disappointing, though, is he's taken a major dip in three-point shooting this season. Oh, big time. Uh, The last three years, he was shooting around 41%. Yeah. And now he's at 32% from three, and that's not great. He's averaging about four rebounds a game, which is not bad, but it's a bit of a dip as well. I think his playing time has gone down some. It has. He's better than his numbers. Yeah, he's gone down 10 minutes from last year in the rotation. So I definitely think that makes a big difference in it. He's only averaging eight points a game. Um, I I think that probably the 17-minute mark, 18-minute mark, would be where he'd be at with the Pacers. He's six foot 11. He's not that small. I mean, so I I also think that it could be interesting to play him and Sabonis together just because they're two European guys that understand the game in a different way. I think that maybe playing Sabonis with that bench unit, um, assuming they would trade Jeremy Lamb in this deal, and then you have McDermott with those two guys, I think that could be fun and be kind of a European style of a play of basketball with that second unit. wouldn't be the most athletic, but it would still be interesting to see. Oh, it it very much would. And look, this is just me just – pulling this out of thin air, but I think he would be fired up to play for a team where winning actually means something. And the Sacramento Kings, I mean, it's a lot of losses over there. They are not going anywhere anytime soon. I know they're not by any means the worst team, but I think a change change would be really good for Beelitz. And I think that, you know, that could have him fired up. Sure, like you mentioned, shooting 32% this year. Hey, but that's for them. If If we make a move for him, all that matters is what he does after that. And we know based on past production, the production and talent is there. And for the role that he would need to buy into for the Pacers, I think he'd be a great fit. Absolutely. I can't argue with you, Fachi. And I, I just love everything that trade adds. And, and maybe if they don't trade Lamb and they trade somebody else for him, like whatever, I still think you need to address that small ball forward position. And that's something that 
we've needed to address for a while. I, I mean, you know, TJ Warren can hopefully play it once he's healthy. And maybe that's something you do. You maybe stagger the minutes where he plays some more at the small ball four, like he did in the bubble when he really thrived. But, you know, right now the depth chart shows one legitimate power forward and that's Jakar Sampson. So it's uh, it goes back to the TJ Leaf stuff. I mean, he was probably one of our, you know, top power forwards on the team because there was nobody else there. Um, Thad Young obviously was that guy as in the starting lineup. But other than that, you just had no depth that position. So I really think that this is the position of need that they really should look at acquiring. And I don't even know if there'd be anybody in the buyout market better than Jakar. But I think, you know, just keep your eye on things like the only other name that can make some sense of the small ball four is maybe like Otto Porter if he gets bought out. Um, or, or if you were to somehow acquire Rudy Gay, I think he could play that. But uh, small ball four to me, it's a, it's a tough position to fill, and a lot of teams need it. Of course. If Rudy Gay or Otto Porter become available, I mean, that that's that's a must. I'm going to be honest. I've almost gotten obsessed with trying to throw Jalen LeCue and Keelan Martin in NBA trade machines. I mean, I am just shopping them. So I just think that the Pacers need some help right now. And those guys, they're just not able to do it. Like, look. It's like shopping I, with negative money, Fachi. Yeah, I know. It's like, come on, I'm good for it. You know, just just, just take this, you know. But at, at the scene, you know, I feel like I'm ripping it and dipping it in my pockets and saying, here, take this now and I'll come back later on. I'll give you more. Just for now, I'll take them off the team. But I just think that at this point, there's – there's not those guys are not able to contribute anything this year, and if the Pacers are going to make a push, they got to get someone who's more NBA ready. They can't they can't just wait around for those guys. I mean, it was at the point where, aside from the loss, like the, the thing I was most happiest was was Cassius Stanley getting like a last minute bucket. I mean, it was just <laughs> it just felt good. And I knew like you know Brian Bowen got in there, but like Cassius Stanley getting a basket, I was happy for him. But also we didn't get to touch on it. real quick. Gogo was was playing some D early on, and oh yeah, like he got yanked, and we didn't see him again until the final you know minute and a half mark of the fourth. I mean, Gogo three blocks, two steals. It just why why can't we get him in for a couple more minutes here and there, and not just like a shift and then he's out? Well, here's what you could have done, and I, I think this would have made more sense is maybe for those final two minutes of the third quarter, you play him in there for Miles, and then you let Miles come back in earlier in the fourth quarter with Sabonis. I know that the the, the staggering of the minutes has been something I know Bjorkman's tried to do, and I think Sabonis, you know, with that second unit worked so well last year that he wants to try to mimic that a little bit somewhat if he can, but I think not having Justin Holiday with that second unit really hurts that idea just because of his defense. But I think with Goga, that game was too close last night that he probably uh-huh. didn't trust him, but he's still got nine minutes overall. I think that playing in that garbage time towards the end of the game and getting a little stint there in the first half, that's what you need. That's kind of how you can develop guys while still trying to win is you play them early in the game where you can still, you know, kind of just feel it out. You know, you don't feel like the pressure of losing is there if it's the fourth quarter, but if it's the second quarter, it's like, oh, okay, we were up by 10. Now we're down by 10. You know, it's like, yeah. uh, we can maybe we can make, come back from this you know not saying a 20 point swing is ever good but you get my gist you know just what i'm trying to say it's like you can kind of monitor his minutes a little bit more and if he's playing well you give him a little bit of an extended time because clearly the first half is not nearly as important as the second half even though it all matters that's kind of where i think they're at with him right now 
But yeah, I understand what you're saying. Like if he's playing well, why not give him some more minutes? But I understand also as a coach where you're trying to win games while you've been losing a lot and you don't want to fall out of that play in tournament at the, at the bare minimum, just because there's a lot of pressure on this franchise uh, and, and the guys that are, you know, running the team and the guys that are coaching the team to get into the playoffs. The, the, the Pacers don't like to miss the playoffs. Absolutely not. And they're still, like we mentioned, they're still well within reach of a playoff spot. There's still a lot of games left to play. So I'm not panicking at all. Look, it was just Karis LeVert's second game. You're starting to see that three-point ball, you know, flowing a little bit. But I think that the best is still yet to come for him. So just give him time. Look, the Pacers had a stretch of playing the Lakers, Phoenix, and Denver. I mean, those are two teams that met in the West Western Conference Finals. One of the teams that's really on the rise. It's a hard stretch. It really is. If the Pacers had just dropped the game to, say, like Cleveland, or maybe, you know, they just lost like another game, like the Bulls in here, I'd feel a lot worse. But the Nuggets, they're a really good team. I mean, Jokic, absolute MVP contender. Jamal Murray, really good player. I mean, there's a lot of good players, a lot of good size. It's it's on the road. Look, you can make up a million excuses in the world. Pacers at least showed the fight to claw back. It's just, it was such a shame that they looked so bad in the fourth quarter that it it erases the fact that they did overcome a 20-point deficit when that game looked like it was over early on. Oh, yeah. There's no doubt about it. So we got the Nets Wednesday night. No Kevin Karis Durant. Le- no Kevin Durant. Karis LeVert gets to play his former team for the first time since being drafted by the Pacers and traded to the Nets back on the dra- on 2016 draft night. So is that 2016 or 15? Uh, 2016. 16. Okay. I was right on my first guess, but yeah. So, I mean, obviously it's going to be an emotional game for him. I think he's going to want to come out and perform well. He's looked pretty good. We didn't really get a chance to talk about his game last night, but I thought he was pretty efficient from the field flash and I'm excited to see what he does against the Nets. And, you know, I think that you can still see, like, he's still trying to get a feel for how this Mm -hmm. offense goes. Um, he's picking his spots when he wants, you know, but he's not trying to force too much, which is good. He's going to fit in perfectly, I think, once he just gets more acclimated with the offense and the chemistry with the guys grows. But right now it's still a little bit of a learning curve for him, and I, I'm, I'm excited to see it. But, you know, it's just last night I think there was other glaring options that were more worthy of talking about than uh, how he played last night. Oh, 100%. I mean, they're, they're still they're keeping his minutes. The, the two games he's played in under 30 minutes – I thought, you know, he didn't he wasn't really jacking up as, you know, as much shots. The first game, I feel like he was really trying to, you know, get his legs underneath him, get a flow going. I, I felt like he kind of was a little bit quiet. He had like seven of his 17 in the fourth quarter. So it was kind of a, a quieter earlier on game for him. But I want him to come out with a full bag of potato chips on his shoulder against the Nets because <laughs> they, they traded him. And, hey, look, you know, he's a valuable player that obviously teams wanted. But anytime a team's going to – give up on you, you know, move on from you, whatever it is, you got to think it means more. And I want that Karis LeVert revenge game. I want the coldest, coldest dish, ever been. the coldest dish served to the Nets. I, I want it. So I feel like no Kevin Durant. Look, last time there was no Kevin Durant. It didn't even matter. The Nets stomped out the Pacers. This time around, I would like to think things are going to be a little bit different. Yeah, hopefully, Fashi. I hope that. I hope that we can get a win at home because there's not very many home games. And and playing at home used to be special. I think that this is one thing we can kind of close the show with here, Fletch. 
while there's not very many fans, there's still a limited amount of fans that are allowed inside Banker's Life Fieldhouse. And I'm really, really, really hoping that the fans that are in attendance make sure Karis gets a nice uh, Pacers game debut welcome at uh, at Banker's Life. Oh, yeah, because I know it's a shame that, you know, that stadium won't be sold out uh, so they could have a roaring crowd. But those that are there, if you're listening to this and you're going to be there, go wild because this man's been through a lot. And I think that he's going to be really, really happy to be a Pacer in the future because we've stood by his side. We've waited, you know, the fan base, all they were doing was anxiously waiting his return. And, hey, he's back. I know we're, it's just one and one. It's just two games. But if we won, if we won against Denver, I think it would be Levert mania going wild right now. We'd say this is a new team. And, hey, why not keep it going against Brooklyn? Let's get the W. I'm all for it, Fachi, and I'm disappointed. I can't say what's Pacers record with uh, Karis oh, Levert in the lineup anymore. It's too quick. Too it quick. was too quick. And it should have – it could have really been um, changed. So I really felt like we could have got something from that. But anyways, anyways, we uh, we are all out of time for today, Fachi. So let the people know where they can find us. You can find us on Twitter at SettingThePace3. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. Alex can be found on Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA. And on Instagram, we are at PacersTalk. And when you're half awake watching the late night games and Quinn Buckner comes in off the top rope and drops a smothered chicken out of nowhere, all you can do is stand up and say these three words. Let's go Pacers! Go catch. Oh, he's crowded! Oh, he smothered that chicken! He got one! He smothered the chicken! Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.